The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. And this topic today, No Justice in Catoosa County, is really out of the trenches and the nitty-gritty business of private investigation. I'm going to introduce my guests in a moment, but before I do, I want just a moment to remember California private investigator Jesus Castillo. Jesus' best-known case is when he worked for attorney Bob Singer defending Michael Jackson when Michael Jackson was acquitted of child molestation charges. Jesus' memorial service is being held today in Southern California. Now, switching gears, um, I must pose today's Blast from the past question. The first black-owned detective agency. Do you know who that is? We'll talk about this at the end of the show. Private investigators often find themselves in dicey circumstances, and Eric Eccles found himself in one while working for a criminal defense attorney on a high-profile case. Just a brief background on Eric. He's a former U.S. Marine and founder, president, and CEO of the LPS Group, a loss prevention security and investigation agency located in the state of Georgia. Besides being a licensed private investigator, he's a certified forensic interviewer and a firearms trainer for the state of California, or state of California, that's where I'm from, state of Georgia, through the Secretary of State Private Detective and Security Agencies, has published a book, and is working on a second. Eric found himself targeted by a prosecutor and by others, and will share his remarkable experience while representing Tanya Kraft, a kindergarten teacher who was charged with 22 counts of child molestation. Welcome, Eric. Hey, how you doing, Francie? Thank you so much for making the time to be here today. Uh, you know, it was important for me to be here. I appreciate you having me. And you've had a rocky road over the past year and a half. <laughs> well, to say the least, yeah. To say the least. Yeah. It's been pretty rocky, that's for sure. Well, let's let's start... Eric, by talking about the Tanya Kraft case, can you kind of give us an overview of that case and, and how it developed? Okay. Well, um, Tanya Kraft, as you stated before, she, um, kindergarten teacher in Catoosa County. She worked at um, elementary school in Chigamonga Elementary School. And she was charged with 22 counts, 22 felony counts, of child molestation, and those counts could have um, had her incarcerated for 400 years. 400 and years. 400 years is another way of saying life. Yeah, right. Or you, you, you're not, you know, you're going to die in prison. Um, 
the investigation I was involved in, it, it went for two years. Um, and during that time, um, in that investigation, of course, um, finding information, interviewing people, tracking down witnesses, um, interviewing the same, interviewing witnesses, was pretty much my role um, in that case, was mm-hmm. to find information to aid to the defense of Tanya Craft. And just so our listeners know, maybe people that haven't ever been involved in the def- criminal defense arena, a lot of times a private investigator working for a defense attorney actually redoes everything that has been done by law enforcement. All the well, interviews are redone, right. et cetera. Right. Okay. I mean, you, you're, you're pretty much, um, as a private investigator on the defense case or working for the defense team, you, you're the quote-unquote um, police for the defense. Okay. So basically you're doing what the police are doing for the prosecutor. Correct. Um, so that basically what you said is a, it's a true statement, doing the interviews, finding evidence, whatever it is that we can to aid in that defense. Okay. And so what kinds of things were you finding? Well, and, and see, and that's, that's the, the whole um, thing that led up to me being arrested. Um, during the course of the investigation, um, we found out a lot of, of information um, just talking to individuals, um, doing research on individuals, um, actually um, looking at how the, the the justice system did their case, looking at how the um, forensics interviewers who interviewed the child's, you know, the children did their investigation. Um, we looked at everything that we could to see if it was out of the norm, is it, it was it a standard operating procedure, um, all of that. And what we started finding was a lot of inconsistencies um, as far as what is normally being done or what should have been done per the policy and procedures with the different agencies that were involved. Um, that led into actually tracking down and talking to witnesses. Um, Witnesses who knew the parties, witnesses who knew Tanya Craft, witnesses who knew her behavior or knew the type of person that she was, as mm-hmm. well as investigating those individuals of or the parents of the alleged victims. And, you know, I tell you, Francine, it, it, it got to a point where, um, as a private investigator, you know, most of our job is talking to people. Sure. So... Um, what ended up happening was I ended up talking to one of the alleged victim's father. Okay. Which is part of the, the job. You, which is part of the job. Do. Now, <laughs> which, what, what was so funny about it is in talking to him, um, we ended up having two separate conversations. And the first conversation <clears throat> was was about... An hour, an hour and a half. And I talked to him at his job. It was a welcome, welcoming conversation that we both had. You know, he invited me in. He took us to an area in his job location where we can talk in private. Mm-hmm. And that conversation is what upset the district attorney, what led to my arrest. Now, this was a father of, of a five-year-old? 
Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so he was willing to talk to you. There was not a problem. It was not a problem. He was willing to talk to me. Um, and actually, you know, he said things in the conversation, and it's it all actually that entire conversation was um, posted on the website. But he said things to me that I knew after talking to him that um, Tanya Kraft was an innocent woman. Okay. And that conversation that we had, I mean, he said things like, you know, he didn't want to be a part of the case. And he said things like, you know, he felt that the district attorney was forcing him to be involved in the case. And, um, you know, that he, he took his child to um, to their own doctor. And they didn't find out anything was being done that was irregular as far as molestation is concerned. And didn't uh, he even go so far as say that the prosecutor was threatening him to become a witness? Yeah, he he at one point in the conversation he he told the he stated that he told the district attorney that he didn't want to be a part of it and this was it it was over he wasn't going to be a part of it and the district attorney came back and told him that if you weren't a part of this that I, he he would be arrested for obstruction of justice wow. um and that he had to be involved in this case. So um, of course, when the conversation got out that I spoke to him, and I'm sure some of the things that uh, were said that the DA probably didn't want me to know, um, they orchestrated my arrest. Mm-hmm. Um, the arrest now, what was did they, And at the time, they arrested you for what? <laughs> well, at the time... <laughs> Interviewing was, a witness, maybe, huh? Yeah, I was I was arrested for influencing a witness. Okay. But I was arrested on three felony counts of influencing a witness. But the conversation was only on one individual. The other two counts came because throughout the conversation I had with the father, the daughter was mentioned and the wife was mentioned. So in that, they charged me with three counts of influencing, one for the daughter, one for the wife, and one for the person I spoke with. Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. So I got three charges for talking to one person. And, you know, a felony charge was up to seven years. So, you know, had been convicted, you're looking at, you know, three to 21 years for doing your job. Um, what What was uncanny about the conversation was the things that he said um, as far as I was concerned. Um, it was comments he made like thanking me for coming down to speaking with him. Mm-hmm. And he even mentioned that he appreciated um, my opinion. And, and you know, we talked about riding motorcycles together when this whole ordeal was over because I ride a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it was a pleasant conversation. And there were two points or two times in the conversation I had with him where I tried to leave. I said, you know, I've been here, you know, about an hour getting some good information, and I tried to leave, and he asked me to stay and asked me to come back in the room and talk to him. Wow, really? So, of course, I stayed longer. Of course, because, you did. You know, that's information. And, um, but I tell you, when, when it was heard that I had the conversation with him, the, that's when I was arrested. Now, you did something that a lot of criminal defense investigators don't do, and that's you tape-record the conversation, correct? 
Well, see, and here and here's the thing. You know, this was, you know, um, part of me being hired in this case. I did mostly all of the interviews. Um, as an example, even when the defense was looking for witnesses, and they had the um, audio going, they had the court reporter in there. They had we set up a little an area or room, and all of the potential witnesses, I did the interviews. They had me do all of the interviews because being a, a CFI, that you know, a certified forensics interviewer, mm-hmm. that's my background is mm-hmm. talking to people, interviewing, getting information, and you know that led to the interviewing of you continue to interview everyone else, so. The interview involving um, the, the particular person I spoke to, the alleged victim's father, it—I I tell you—it—it it was um, one of those things where you, you just had to say, you know, I, I'm going to go talk to this individual. I need to talk to this individual, and you know, this talking to him will basically help solidify what the investigation surrounded, especially with his family. And of course, when you before you went to talk to him, you had no idea what his position was. Well, no, I mean, you know, before I went to to, to speak with the individual, I, all I knew was he was the father of one of the alleged victims. Right. Um, didn't know, I mean, I did my homework on him as far as the type of individual he was, where he worked, the type of job that he had. So, of course, I felt that based on that information, he would, was the best person to speak to. And I would think that um, working on these kind of cases, you might, even assume that talking to a parent of an alleged child victim of molestation maybe would be hostile to you. Well, you know, and that was and that was another thing because he could have said no because I introduced myself when I first went up to him when you know when he came around the corner at his job. So he knew who I was, who I was there for, I was working on behalf of the defense and he could have easily said, get out of here, I do not want to talk to you, and as an investigator, I would have had to leave. Right. You know, so, but he didn't do that. He welcomed me with open, with, um, open arms, and we had a great conversation. Okay. Well, let, let me just say, Eric, because, you know, um, some of our listeners may not know the background. Um, Eric is an African-American man, and Tanya Kraft is a Caucasian woman, yeah. And all of the victims were Caucasian as well, is that correct? Yes. yes. Okay. So essentially everybody you interviewed? Everyone I interviewed in the case was Caucasian. Okay. Um, everyone surrounding this case was Caucasian. Um, this county, uh, Catoosa County, is about 95% Caucasian. Okay. Okay. Um, I, of course, I'm African American from Detroit, Michigan. You know, went to school out of Detroit public schools and went to the Marine Corps. Okay. So I'm more of a inner city type of guy. <laughs> All right. Okay, okay. Well, let's take a break, Eric. That was okay. Eric Eccles. Stay tuned. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Eric Eccles has been talking about the Tanya Craft case in Patusa County, Georgia. Eric, tell us more. Okay. Well, I mean, before we broke, you know, I was explaining how, you know, Catoosa County is, is, is 95% um, white and me being an African-American city life. And I, I tell you, that that was one of the, the concerns um, that I had when I first took this case. Uh-huh. Because, of course, in that county, I stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. And, you know... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but before you ran into this problem with the prosecutor, 
did you have problems with people there? Did you feel, were you uncomfortable? How was that? How was well, the atmosphere? You know, it, 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 it was, I mean, you know, talking to a lot of the people in Catoosa County was, um, I was okay with, you know, as far as the witnesses were concerned. Mm-hmm. However, there, you know, there was a point where, you know, in performing some of the, um, the duties I was assigned with in this case was conducting a um, process service, you know, doing process service. And, you know, there was a situation with one of the other alleged victim's mother um, where I was, you know, sent to, you know, do a process service on her, which is, you know, for your listeners, is to to serve some legal documents mm-hmm. um, in reference to a particular case. Okay. And... And when I, you know, it was funny, when I pulled up, she saw me, you know, pulling up. She knew who I was because I had served some papers on her before. And in the course of um, doing that, um, effecting that serve, God, she um, went off on me. Um, She followed me to my car yelling and screaming after I did the serve. Um, she reached in my window and slapped me in the face, and really? then she, and then when I was driving off, she yelled out and called me a black bastard. And you know, I was, and I had it all on video. I had my recording going on my phone, and you know, it was just amazing that you know, in in today's society, people still, you know, reference African Americans or treat African Americans that way. So, but. Being the town that I was in, you know, one would say you should have expected it. So hmm. um, the thing was, what I expected was, you know, some people turning me away or some people yelling or whatever. But what, what I didn't be, expect is to be assaulted and, and called exactly. a racist. Exactly, and you expect to be treated like a professional. Well, and, you know, and, and it's funny because, you know, what I've learned, and I'm sure you have too, you know, the private investigator at all times should be the professional mm-hmm. because the individuals um, have a tendency of wanting to draw us in to their level to have us, you know, look be looked at as the one who was in profe- uh, unprofessional and, and incited the situation, mm-hmm. and um, that wasn't the case. Well, you know, Eric, when I was uh, reviewing this case and reviewing the things online about Tanya Craft and everything that's transpired. I was just I was just thinking that it it really is amazing. I'm Brown versus Board of Education was mm-hmm. almost fifty seven years ago. Right. And the uh seating of the Mississippi dele- white delegation uh or the challenge to the Democratic National Convention in nineteen sixty four, I mean that's you know, almost fifty years ago too. Right. And I think there's a lot of people in this country that may think that there isn't racism any longer, and I, uh, you are proving that that's not the case. No, it, it, it clearly isn't the case. I mean, it, it, even, it even was demonstrated um, in the magistrate level um, of the court because I went to file charges on this particular individual for um, assault, assault charges. Mm-hmm. And when I went to file those charges, went before the court, um, the court, the the judge, magistrate judge, bounded it over. You know, he, uh, we went through the process. Um, the lady herself, she filed a um, a warrant affidavit on me. I filed one on her. 
the judge said that, you know, since you both file one, we'll, I'll have the hearings both at the same time. Well, yep. when I got there, um, she didn't have her attorney present, which was an indication to me something wasn't right. I walked in with my attorney, and when we went through the process, she stood up and said, well, I filed the wrong paperwork. Um, I don't want, you know, I just don't want him to come around my house anymore. And then the judge said, well, he filed something against you. And she said, well, I don't know anything about that, which, you know, it's, it's the court's job to notify both parties. Mm-hmm. Well, make a long story short, um, she gets up, she leaves. They bound, They told me to wait where I was, and that's when they effected the arrest on me inside the courtroom for the conversation I had with um, the other alleged victim's father. So I got arrested in the courtroom. And you had no idea that was coming? Um, no idea that was coming. So we didn't have the actual hearing of the assault charge. Well, later after I was arrested and I bonded out and, you know, the case went on, I went back to file the charges for assault, and the judge said he already heard it and he dismissed it as not going to be heard. Now, was this the same judge that was handling Tanya's case? No, it was a different judge. A different judge. So, yeah, a different level. That was, Tanya's was superior, you know, um, and this was in the magistrate. But what was funny is that we never presented the evidence to the judge. And my question to him was, how can you dismiss it if we haven't had the, the case yet, if mm-hmm. we haven't presented the evidence? And his reply was, well, that's my decision and that's what I'm going to do. And it never happened. And this was just another slapping the face on justice and trying to protect, you know, one of their own in Catoosa County. And, and let me just say that it's prudent if you are working on a case and you have a situation like um, you're assaulted or threatened or anything like that, it's prudent to go and at least make a police report because oftentimes that gets turned around just exactly like you said it did. Exactly. It not only did it gets turned around, but I mean, in certain areas, they won't even hear it. And and what mm-hmm. was funny um, about my case, I had the lady on video hitting me and calling me a black bastard. Amazing. And, and Good that, for you. Well, yeah, it was. It was. It's just you know one of those things that that you have to look at and say, well, wait a minute, something's not right here. Right. Now what? Now what happened when you? took that to the police department to file the charges. What kind of reaction did you get there? It, it was none. There, there, there was no reaction from anyone because you, you had to take it to the magistrate court first in order for them to issue the warrant for the assault. Oh, and I when, see. So you don't actually it, go to me? the police department and file a report first? Well, I've called the police department and filed a police report when the incident happened, but I they see. didn't okay. do anything. Okay. I took it and filed the warrant application, and he kicked it out before he even saw it or heard it. So it was released. Actually, the videotape um, was released to the news, and they showed it, and it's on the internet. I mean, so people can see it. But the problem is, is not the issue that happened to Eric Eccles. It was the issue of the injustice that occurred during that time mm-hmm. that was allowed because of what Eric Eccles is, being an African-American, being a black man. And then your your bond from your arrest limited you from contacting any further witnesses. Is that right? right? W- once, you know, they when I was arrested, um, it, the judge made it perfectly clear 
and he said to me, and um, he said, the only way you're going to get out of jail is you have to say you're not going to talk to anyone else in reference to the Tanya Craft case. And, of course, I said, well, sure, I won't talk to right. anyone else. Yeah. And, and so he bonded. I mean, I paid. My wife was there. Um, she didn't leave. We went and got the 2500 cash and and oh. gave them a, a, a um, certified check, I mean, and they were shocked that, wait a minute, you ain't going to a Bell's Bondsman? No, here's the money. <laughs> so let my husband out of jail. Right. And um, once that happened, I stopped directly doing um, investigations for the craft case. And when I say directly, I wasn't doing it, but if Tanya would call me and she needed something, then we would work behind the scenes and get it to her or do things for her, and then she would do it. So she ended up learning how to be a PI. Oh, that's <laughs> well. great. Well, uh, so did the attorney have to get another investigator? Well, or had that, you already done the work? They, they didn't. Um, we had enough information. Um, at the point that that happened, I would say we were 95 98% completed, and they had everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just tying up a, f- a few loose ends and trying to research and uh, finding out, you know, um, more people to locate and things of that nature, in which I located things for people for Tanya, and Tanya went out and did the talking on her own behalf. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so you you uncovered so many things that were wrong with his case. Um, could you talk about some of them? Well, um, there were a lot of things that were wrong. Um, how, you know, when you, and I don't want to get into too much detail because I know Tanya is still um, pursuing or maybe pursuing civil um, case, you know. But um, as an example... You know, before you go there, uh, would you... Let me interrupt you because uh-huh. I just realized we need to take a break. Um, just hang with us, everybody, and we'll be right back. Okay. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. 
IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Private investigator Eric Eccles has been talking about the issues that he uncovered with the investigating the Tanya Kraft case. And, Eric, you were just starting to tell us about that. Go ahead. Well, I mean, j- just a couple of things, you know, I, w- I will talk about. I mean, you know, the, the way that the um, the kids were interviewed was a concern. Mm-hmm. Um, how they were interviewed, by whom they were interviewed, um, how long that entire process took place to interview these, these children and, and how they were under the care of someone who wasn't even competent to 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 talk to kids and i'm not saying she was incompetent because you know i was part of the defense but she was deemed incompetent by you know another state i see and 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 with that they when i say they the katusa county justice system allowed this same person to be noted as an expert when another state neighboring state says she was incompetent Mm-hmm. So we found stuff like that out. Um, things like the police, the, the, the lead detectives in the case, um, their background, um, finding out that they didn't even, between the two of them, between the two of them, who've been police officers for 30 years or more, they only had 40 hours or 60, 60, maybe 60 hours between the two of them in training, um, post-certified training, um, in these type of cases, mm-hmm. which to me is an issue. Um, so there were a lot of things with, that we were able to undercover, you know, by pulling a post certification and, and looking at the training they had and talking to other police detectives as far as the departments they work with, mm-hmm. the type of individuals they were. And it, you know, it was a shoddy investigation from, you know, from the police department to 
the the for forensic interviewers and and the people who were responsible for for the children and you know in cases like that you would think that you would want the best you know well, uh, it's true and and you know it, you you would you're, you're dealing with our most precious thing our children and it, you know it and you'd think that after all the publicity the Martin case out right. of Los Angeles received n- numbers of years ago and the the case that the movie the documentary is made the witch hunt about John right. Stoll and the 30 some people out of Kern County California who were charged with child molestation and all exonerated um you would think that there would be widespread uh training and education to make sure those kinds of things don't happen. Right. And, and you know, it's funny you mentioned the witch hunt, that case, because through, through the course of, of my, our investigation, when I say our, my company, you know, our investigators, we researched that case. We looked into that case. You know, I, I dove in and tried to find and actually did find some of those individuals, you know, for Tanya to speak with. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, and when you talk about children, and you know, and I'm by means I'm not an expert in that, but investigating this case, I have some insight and some knowledge. And and when you talk about children, one thing that I studied on and what I read about was suggestibility, mm-hmm. and how kids at a young age you can put something in their heads and then put it just like the the witch hunt case, and you put it in their heads, and the next thing you know, they start believing it, and before you know it, it was wrong. And, and they come out with with all of these things that didn't happen, and you know the problem is is that that damages the kid or the children after this thing is over, and 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 no way believe me, and I've said this to you before. I mean I think you know people who are committed of of child molestation, um, you know that's the worst crime ever, mm-hmm. and you know this just wasn't the case. This was an innocent woman. And uh, Tanya was a kindergarten teacher, but this these, this alleged event um, happened actually at her home when they were the children were staying at her house, correct? Right. These these and see that was the other thing. Um, you know, Tanya she was she's a caring kindergarten teacher, kindergarten teacher, and she, you know she had two kids of her own, and these alleged victims they were all good friends. They were all in the same social circle per se they are all hung out buddies and did you know vacations together and and you know at each other's houses at the same time and and there was you know and this alleged these alleged incidents occurred when they were doing sleepovers with other children and and parties with other parents there and i mean it, it was there was just no consistency and no no motive for for anything like that to uh, to have occurred or mm-hmm. no opportunity. I mean, it was just, you know, it was like the witch hunt all over again. And t- Tanya's children were removed from her immediately, true? Yes, Tanya had full custody before this had happened, and she, um, of course, lost that custody when these allegations came up. And then when she was exonerated, which she was acquitted on all 22 counts. Mm-hmm. You know, so she was acquitted on all 22 counts, and you would think, well, okay, what's the old analogy? You're innocent till you're proven guilty. Well, she was innocent, and she was proven innocent, but she didn't get her kids back. So now there's um, an arrangement between, uh, I don't know what the arrangement is, 
but I know that they have worked something out because I've heard it on 20, I mean, on Good Morning America or the Today Show, one of the shows they both were on, that um, the father um, and, and Tanya worked everything out, and they're going to be some type of joint custody thing going. So she was, let's see, I'm looking at the timeline. She was acquitted May 11, 2010. Yes. That's amazing, and she still hasn't been able to... Well, she sees her kids, but she doesn't have custody of them like she had before this Mm -hmm. occurred. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's... it's, I mean, and when you look at cases like this, Francine, and and to your listeners, I mean, it, it just puts... These, these thoughts and these things in your head, and, and you just have to sit back and say, well, geez, this is still going on. Right. You know, well, and, and, it, and in her case, wasn't, wasn't there, uh, she and her husband were splitting up, and wasn't she making an allegation of possible uh, child abuse from uh, against her husband? Well, you know, <laughs> you did your homework. Well, <laughs> um, there was. There, there was, there was um, things that had occurred in Tennessee, where Tanya had made some allegations of some inappropriate behavior against the wife, the new wife of, oh, the new wife. of her ex-husband. Okay. And that led into Tanya having these allegations against her. This was all in, at, during the same course, during the mm-hmm. same time. It was, mm-hmm. it was kind of like, you know, when you were a kid, and you, you know, I, I'm going to tell on you, but I'm going to tell right. on you first, and I'm going <laughs> right. to make something up on you, and I'm going to make something <laughs> It was, and it it just kind of spiraled into this this ordeal of you know Tanya's life and and um, these charges being brought forth. And actually, you know, there were some things that was found on him as well through the course of the investigation, of which I'm I'm writing about it in in the book. You have you know, a book coming Katusa out. County, yeah, the yeah. book Catoosa County Justice. Right. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's incredible. It's really incredible. And the problem with an allegation of molestation uh, is it never goes away. She right. will live with that the rest of her life. Right. I mean, it, it's always there. I mean, it's, people will always look at you. Um, you know, kind of like with, with, with investigators. You know, it's, you get arrested as an investigator. That's, that's on your record. Yep. You live with it the rest of your I, life. I, I live with this now. I mean, if I, you know try to do business in another state, the business application will ask, have you ever been arrested? Right. Yes, yes, I have. Okay, now you know just as well as I do. People look at that and say, okay, this guy's been arrested. Well, what did, what did he do? Now I have to go through this whole ordeal every time I, I see that or answer that question and explain everything that happened. So, I mean, I'm I'm not only stereotyped as a black man, you know, you know, one out of every five who you know been arrested or whatever you know the 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 um, statistic is, but but the thing is is that I shouldn't have to be because I did nothing wrong. Right, and what happened to you is when they tried to pursue the charges in Catoosa County, all of the judges recused themselves. Well, see, that was to me, you know, and I've said this before uh, when the media um, here and uh, out in that area in Tennessee. Um, asked me, you know, I, I told them when all four Superior Court judges recused themselves on the same recusal order and said that basically we do not want to hear this case against Eric Eccles. You know, I told my attorney, well, you know, you think that would send a message to the district attorney and say enough is enough. Mm-hmm. 
and it didn't happen. Um, we ended up getting another judge assigned to the case, and then from there, um, uh, they wanted me to sign. When I say they, the DA wanted me to sign a um, a first-time offenders program, enter to a first-time <laughs> offenders program, which I said, you know, that's not happening. I, I'm not an offender. <laughs> I didn't do anything wrong. Okay, you know, we just have to fight this to the bitter end. And then next thing you know it, there was an order to quash the indictment that was signed, and that pretty much wiped out the indictment. And the, the, so and case right again. now, the, even though the indictment has been quashed, you know, the DA can come back and say, well, we're going to reindict. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they, they have four years to do that. Four years. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the indictment was quashed when? It was quashed in November. Okay. Of 2010, it was just it just happened. So, but then you're looking at the date I was arrested was was um, August of 2009. Right. I was indicted December 2009. So I, you know, you incur all these legal costs and expenses and close to 20 grand, and and now it's been quashed when it shouldn't have never. I should have never been indicted. Okay. More to come in a moment. Stay with us. Stay with us. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. 
would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili, radio to thrive by. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. We're back. Um, I want to just interrupt for a moment um, this provocative conversation with Eric Eccles um, because I promised you to give you the answer from our blast from the past moment. And the question was, um, do you know the, who the first black-owned detective agency is? And actually, thanks to curator Ben Harold of PI Museum, I actually have three to talk about. Uh, the first one, the National Negro Detective Agency operated 1910 to 1950 by uh, Mr. Quincy J. Gilmore. He did publicity for the Negro League basketball team, baseball teams and PR for the Monarchs Negro League World Champion team. So that's one. Another one is the Keystone National Detective Agency founded in 1919 by a man named Mr. Sheridan A. Bousseau. Sheridan's detective agency advertised proudly as the pioneer and only colored, licensed, and bonded detective agency in the world. So that was 1919. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah, that is. And uh, so we've got 1910 to 1950 with Mr. Gilmore and 1919 with Mr. Brousseau. And he was quite a flamboyant guy, Mr. Brousseau was. Uh, then um, one who, that is still operating... Uh, actually, third-generation-owned black detective agent, star detective and security agency, founded in 1923, and I hope I pronounce this right, Legimus Bratton. He was a pioneer in the field of security. He was a son of slaves. He went to Chicago with the only skill he had was his hands and his mind and his motivation to have his own business. So he first uh, offered security to street vendors, and then as the storefronts opened, three generations later, it's a full-service agency, Almeida Dunn, Almeida E. Dunn, D-U-N-N is the president and CEO, and her daughter, Dominique Wallace, is the chief operating officer, the fourth generation to run the company. Almeida is the past president and of the National Council of Security uh, Investigation and Security Services. Wow. So I thought that was kind of fun, and uh, I hope Almeida and her uh, folks 
at her agency are listening to the show today um, because she's a great lady and a good friend, and uh, they run a, a good operation there. So we've been discussing with Eric Eccles his experience on the Tanya Craft case, and we just want to make sure that, that everybody knows, Eric, that you were, you've been exonerated. Yes. You were, you were wrongfully indicted. Yes. You didn't do anything wrong. Didn't do anything wrong. You just did your job. Just, that's it. I mean, it's, you go into work, <laughs> you think that you do your job, you go home, um, and that wasn't the case that time. Yeah. And Tanya, too. She was exonerated. She was acquitted of all 22 counts. All 22 counts, yep. And as we were talking on one of the breaks, she had widespread support from the community. Oh, yes. I mean, she she had um, some great um, support from the community. Um, I mean, there were droves of people who showed up for the trial, and every time she went to court, there was just, you know, numbers of people who sat there and, and uh, witnessed or watched or, you know, in support for her. And nobody that you talked to in all of the investigation on that case ever thought that she would be a person that would molest children? No one. I mean, no one, it never entered anyone's mind. I mean, there were people who were saying that when I was going through the witnesses and talking to them, that even when this was going on, that they would still let Tanya um, or their children go over to Tanya's house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, one of the things we didn't mention was the judge, and what was his name, House? House, yeah, yeah. Brian House. Brian House, the judge that handled the trial against, uh, and, and is it called people, State of, I guess it's State of Georgia versus Tanya Kraft, is that how yes. it's called? Mm-hmm. Okay, and that case actually sat on the case, uh, her divorce case with her husband. On one of them. He was, I think he was a, an attorney, before he was a judge um, for one of Tanya's ex-husbands or during that ordeal um, that he knew of her prior to him sitting on the bench, yes. Okay, and and he was an advocate for her ex-husband. Yes. And he didn't did not declare that conflict or recuse himself no. when it came to the Tanya Kraft trial. No, he did not. And Yeah. And did the attorney representing Tanya, did he, I guess, I'm assuming it was a he, I guess I shouldn't assume, huh? Right. Uh, did he challenge the judge on that issue? Well, there, there were a lot of challenges. Um, I'm not aware of all of them because, I mean, I didn't go to court every time they did on the motion hearings. Um, I mean, some of them I went, but a lot of them I didn't. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of challenges that were made that um, Judge um, House um, didn't rule on or didn't rule in their favor. Um, okay. I mean, it was, you know, at some points it was, Eric, you know, we want you here. And when I got there, it was like, okay, you need to leave because, you know, we got denied. I mean, we're not going to hear the motions now. And it was it was that type of ordeal that was going on. Mm-hmm. And then um, there there have been certainly claims from your attorney as well as yourself about prosecutorial misconduct, and um, there's a possibility of looking into that further. Well, um, 
I mean, at, at one point, I mean, I was, you know, just let this whole ordeal be over. And, and this was when it first happened. But, you know, right now, um, I, you know, it's just one of those things that a, a decision as, as to what direction it's going to go hadn't been made. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, just, I, I guess, weigh all of my options. Right. I understand. Right. Well, thank you so much, Eric, for sharing your experience with us today. It's just, I'm sure, a big wake-up call for a lot of folks across the country. If you want to know more about Eric or how to contact him, go to PICclassified.com under today's show, No Justice in Catoosa County. Users of iPhone, iPod, and BlackBerry and Android devices can now listen to Voice America programs on the go, and you can get the applications on Apple iTunes, Apple Store, BlackBerry, App World, and Android Market. Next week's show will feature Dan Goldsmith, an investigator who travels to Rwanda, and trains the Rwandan police on how to investigate a sexual assault case. The following week's show hosts the Colonel, Dr. Margaret Kamemeyer, who was ousted from the military for her sexual orientation. Her story was chronicled in the movie with Glenn Close, Serving in Silence. Tune in as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. It's PIC Classified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.